0: There are a lot of things about our lives that are very different. We all are born in, by and large, in different places. Some of us may be born in different countries of the world. We're different in in the makeup of our families in which we were raised or are now being raised. Some families have uh, multiple children, some one. Some families have one parent. To, you know, some people grow up knowing their grandparents. Some never knew them. We, we're, there are a variety of things about our lives that relate to experiences. You've had experiences that I haven't had. And I've had experiences you haven't had. And we could say that about each other, about most anything. There are all kinds of variables about our lives that make us different from one another. But the one constant, at least one of the constants that we are certain about is that all of us have the same connectedness related to time. We all have 24 hours a day. We all have 168 hours in a week. We all have 365 or, in the case of 2012, 366 days in a year. No, No one of us has an hour less or an hour more. We all have the same amount of time. And when I read the scriptures, I find that, that God is very interested in what we do with our time. How we spend our time. We, we live in a world in which time is really important to us. We have That's why we've invented so many time-saving devices. What's intriguing is that with all the time-saving device, devices... I find people saying more and more that they have less time. We have all kinds of inventions, and we feel more stress. We've made all kinds of progress in things like technology, and yet we feel more stretched than maybe ever. A lot of that has to do with the connection of our time to our work. Because work in whatever form it takes is going to take up a lot of our time. And whether that's a job for which we're paid, whether that's going to school, whether that's staying at home and and being involved doing things, all of us have work that we do and time is connected to that. And when you read the scriptures, you find over and over and over again that God's not just concerned about time. He's concerned about work, our work. And in fact, if you really want to, to get a grasp on what God, what God has to say to us about the connection of work and time, we need to go back to what is, in essence, the beginning of time. And we go back to creation. For six days, God creates. And a part of that creation is a human being. And the human being that God creates... Adam is given the task of working now I used to think that work was the result of the fall you know sin into the world so now we have to work but as we see in this passage that's not the case in chapter 2 verse 5 says when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up For the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God commands Adam to work long before Adam and Eve sinned. It is built in to the nature of what it means to be human. To work. Now the King James talks in here in verse 15 that he, God put Adam in the garden and, and, and he, he had control. And he was given the task of subduing the earth. And often, too often through the centuries, we've interpreted that as you have control of the earth. You can do whatever you want to it. But I think this translation is much better. It's taking care of the earth. We have authority over the earth that God has created. And that doesn't give us license to do whatever we want. It's a responsibility to take care of it. If you want to boil down what God is asking Adam to do, it's basically He's saying, all right, I've created all of this. Now I want you to take that and enhance it and make it productive and bring good things out of it. And when we think about work and what's appropriate work, it always has something to do with enhancing God's creation, whether that is the earth or people. Now that's a wide swath. We might think, well, I have to be in something that directly I can directly see that. It's it's very overt. I don't think that's the case. Adam certainly is doing. He's just tilling the ground, God says. He's not healing anyone, He's he's not making great discoveries. He's tilling the soil. And God is pleased with that. And the point is not does our can we see exactly how our work contributes? The point is, is the goal of our work to help humanity become what God created us to be? Is the goal of our work to help enhance what God has created? And of course, the opposite of that is putting people in places of oppression and bondage and hurting them. And that kind of work is inappropriate for the kingdom of God. We're all called to something that connects us as people to what God has created and trying to bear fruit and to bring something productive out of it. The question that's been going through my mind is, why do we sometimes struggle with work? What What makes me think that work was the result of the fall? Why, do, why would I have that perspective? Well, probably a lot of reasons. I think one of them is that we tend to be Kind of apathetic. We have, we're tempted to be apathetic about it really enhancing creation and being involved in it. And a lot of the reason for that, particularly in our time, is that we're more interested in leisure than we are in work. And we work only so we can play. We, we only work so we can earn money so that we can then do what we really want to do. And our work is simply a means to an end. And then we wonder, why does work seem like drudgery to us? It's not something we're throwing our heart into. It's something that that's simply getting us to something we really want. Of course, it's going to be drudgery for us. How do when you think about your work? Is it is it just to get to something else? I, I think I think that we also I think we also have a hard time with work because we you know, we wonder if our work really means anything. You know, what, what is it accomplishing? Which is why I love this passage because he's telling us there's a whole lot more involved in what we do than we often give ourselves credit for. The, the gifts of the Spirit are given to people to do all kinds of different things. And some of them seem more overtly spiritual than other things, but they're all essential and they're all important. And I think it's great, important for us to get that into our minds. Work is essential to what it means to be human. And I think that maybe another reason we wrestle with work is, honestly, it's hard. You know, it doesn't always go the way we want it to go. We run into obstacles. We, we, we run into difficulties. And not just every so often, all the time. Work is hard. Work doesn't produce the results that we want to get. And, and work doesn't end up with the same, with the results that we're hoping it to get. And so we wrestle with that and we say, well, then I'm just going to quit. Because we think the perfect work would be no problems. Well, the truth of the matter is that is a part of the fall. Work has been a part of who we are as God's creatures from the beginning. But the fact that work is hard is a part of the fall. After Adam and Eve sinned, God says to Adam, now you're going to work just like you did, but it's not going to be quite the same. You're going to deal with weeds and rocky soil and difficulties and things aren't going to... It's not going to come up the way it always did before. It's not going to be as fruitful as it was before. It's going to be painful and difficult. And we say, I wish it weren't that way, but it is. Work is hard. John Oswald makes an observation about that where he says, even this curse, God turns into a blessing... Because we have a tendency to think that our work can actually bring fulfillment to us. We have a tendency to believe that if we just work hard enough, if we do enough, accomplish enough, our work will make us feel fulfilled as we're yearning to feel. But our work never does. It always falls short because the pain, the difficulties, it's not as productive as we want. Problems happen. All these things take place. And every one of those things is God's way of reminding us that work cannot fulfill us, only He can. And our gracious God takes even this curse and turns it into a blessing. Jesus says to His disciples in John chapter 9, verse 4, that while it's still day, We must do the work of of him who sent me. There is a sense of urgency about work. There's an importance about work. And at some point, we, we come to the place of realizing that the work we do, the work we've been called to do, is important by God. It's important to God and for God and the kingdom of God. But the thing I find about this passage is that we have a tendency to twist it a little bit because I think Jesus is addressing people who are apathetic about their influence on the world. People who say, well, hey, I don't care what happens in the world. I'm not contributing to it. I'm just going to sit back and let people take care of me. I don't have any, I don't have any interest in contributing to God's creation. And Jesus is addressing that by saying, look, you need to do this. This is important. But we turn it a little bit and and interpret it to mean we have to do everything. We we can never stop working. Everything about work is, is bearing in upon us and we can never stop. Jesus says as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17. Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. I find that phrase fascinating. Jesus finished the work. We know when Jesus prays that prayer, there are multitudes of people that need to be healed. And there are multitudes of people that reject and ignore God. And injustice is still what rules the day as Jesus goes to the cross. And the vulnerable people of, of the world and society are still taken advantage of. And yet Jesus says, I finished the work you gave me to do. Because it's not about doing everything he could do. It's about doing what God calls him to do and that's our calling and our work too. When I was a, when I was younger we used to sing a song, let me burn out for thee, dear lord. Let me burn and out for thee. Don't let me rust or my life be a failure, my God, to thee. Now, I understand what the song is, is driving at. It's basically the same thing as this passage in, in John 9, that we have an urgency to our work and we can't just sit back and be apathetic about what's going on in the world. But it also bothers me because it sends the message that if we aren't working ourselves to death, we're a failure. And we sometimes wear that mindset that I never say no, I always say yes, we wear that as sort of a badge of honor in the church. But what we really ought to understand is, that's not a badge of honor, that's a misunderstanding of how God has created the world. Because on the one hand, we have this admonition over and over again to be people who work people who engage in God's world and in God's creation and being fruitful in this, in this world in which we live and using our gifts and abilities. But on the other side of the paradox, we are reminded that rest is a part of our world. It's built into our world by our God who rests. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 2, says... When the Lord God made the, I'm sorry, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The first image we get of God is creating, doing, making, producing. The second image we get of God is resting. And it's not because God has to rest. God does not need to rest. God does not get tired. God does not get worn down. But we do. And rest is so important to how God has created this world and created us that even God himself models it by resting. It's built into our world. You know, one of the reasons we are so stressed, one of the reasons that, that we live with such anxiety about our work and about life is because we have made the decision to turn our backs on the way in which God has created the world. God has created the world for, to have rest in it. And, and we so often ignore that to our detriment. Back in September, there was an article in Time magazine, had a picture of President Obama standing, walking along the beach. And the article was about uh, people who are criticizing the president for taking a vacation. And uh, Nancy Gibbs, the author of the article, went on to talk about how research has shown that as human beings, we are built for the need to rest. We think that if we just work harder and work more, we'll get more done. But actually, the exact opposite is true. If we never rest, we will eventually burn out. And if we want to be most productive, if we want our minds to be sharp, if we want our bodies to be healthy, we take time to rest. And she said, if we're going to criticize the presidents about their vacations, it ought not to be because they take too much, but because they take too little. If we really want the president to be the kind of leader that we want him to be, we ought to be encouraging him regularly to get out of the White House and to rest and to restore his mental, physical, spiritual state. It's built in to the world in which we live. I suspect that most of us probably are less likely to be tempted to laziness than we are to being workaholics. And the question that's been running through my mind is, why do we wrestle so much with Sabbath? Why do we wrestle so much with, with resting, with observing Sabbath? Why is that so difficult for us? Maybe it's because we have created a standard of living in which we live, and the only way to maintain that is to work, work, work. Maybe it's because when we feel when we don't do anything, when we rest, we feel useless. I don't you know we wear this badge of honor of "Let me burn out for thee," but we also wear the badge of honor of multitasking you know we we look at people who can do four things at one time and we go, "Wow, that's awesome," and then we try to do nothing at one time and we feel. Worthless. I suspect that a lot of it might have to do with the fact that we think our work is just so important and there's so much to do that we just can't back away from it. We can't take time back. Lee Iacocca, who uh, rescued Chrysler in the 80s, and became a sort of a leadership guru who so said people come to him, executives come to him all the time, telling him about how hard they work. And people say to him, you know, I, didn't, I haven't taken a vacation for two years. And he said, I want to say to them, you dummy. What's wrong with you? You're telling me you can manage an $80 million project, but you can't find two weeks to get away with your family and have some fun? As I've examined myself, I I think probably one of the key reasons we wrestle with rest and Sabbath is because our self-esteem and our self-worth is so wrapped up in what we do, in what we accomplish. You know, we get kudos from people when we work, 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 and, and produce, produce, produce. That's how you get promoted. That's how you get a raise. That's how you get recognized. That's how the world operates, and it's true. And it, and it feels good, and it, it, and it, it strokes our, our self esteem when people acknowledge that. And all it does is just spur us on to keep working more. All the while, we're burning ourselves out because we're not taking time to rest. It's hard. There's something in us that wants to believe that maybe we're indispensable. But the truth is, there's only one indispensable being in this world. And Genesis tells us that he rests. It's not just about restoring us, though. I think one of the issues that... That we struggle with as well as when we talk about Sabbath and we talk about resting. There is this part of us, especially if you grew up in the church, that conjures up images of legalism. It's all about what you can't do. You know, I, I grew up in the in church and, and it, was, it was pretty strict what we were allowed and not allowed to do on Sunday. It was really nothing compared to the environment in which my dad grew up in. My, both of my dad's parents were pastors in what was then known as the Pilgrim Holiness Church, which became a part of the Wesleyan Church. And uh, the story is told that when my dad was about five years old, he was, um, it was a Sunday after church, and they had an evangelist there at their home, and my grandma was making lunch, and my, my dad was sitting out on the back porch, and he had one of those little, little wooden things that uh, stands up and has holes in it, and you hammer pegs through it. You know, it's a motor skill kind of thing. And you hammer the pegs too and you flip it over and you hammer them back the other way. You know, we all had those probably as children. And he was out there hammering away at that. And my grandmother looked out the door and saw him, out the window, saw him. And she opened the door and said, William, you always had to be careful when she called you William. She's one of the few people who called me Wesley. But, you know, said, William, we don't hammer on Sunday. And my dad, this precocious five-year-old, said to her, listen, I'm not saved nor sanctified nor a member of the pilgrim hole in this church. And I reckon I'll hammer on Sunday if I want to. He hammering for a while. <laughs> I suspect he didn't do a lot of sitting for a while either. <laughs> Nor my grandmother. Fifty years later, she thought that was the funniest story in the world to tell us. But, you know, that it conjures up those ideas. And, and, and yet, we missed the whole point. Because the point is not what we can't do. It's that we have freedom for what we can do. You look at this passage in Luke 13 and and this misunderstanding that the synagogue ruler has. Jesus comes to to the synagogue on the Sabbath and here is this woman crippled for 18 years. And Jesus heals her and the synagogue ruler turns to the people. He's really talking to Jesus, but he says to the people, look, you got six days to do this kind of thing. Don't be coming here on Sabbath to do it. And Jesus says, are you kidding me? You'll pull your ox out of the ditch? But you won't let me heal someone on the Sabbath? What is wrong with you? This isn't right. That's not why God intended, why he created Sabbath. It's to give us more time to do good for people. We don't have the confines of work when we take this day away. And we have time to help people and to love people and to, and to do good for people because we've stepped back from the stress and the pressure of work. instead of being legalism, it's freedom. I'm continually amazed when you think about all the things that God could say to the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt and beginning their journey as a nation. God boils them down to 10 things. And one of those 10 things is keep the Sabbath. That's how important this is. And that moment, God was trying to help them understand that they're not in bondage anymore. They're not slaves anymore. They are free. They are free to step back and to do good and to care for one another. And even more than that, they're to step back in order to hear God speak to them and to remind them that this is God's world and He controls it, not them. Ultimately, we practice Sabbath and we take time to rest as a declaration that our lives are about Christ, not about our work or anything that our work might produce for us. As important as our work is and as necessary it is and the admonitions about work, ultimately our lives are about Christ, not about the work. And if we never take time for rest, if we never take time for Sabbath, we miss that message. Because something in us believes, if we never stop working, that actually, if we keep working, our lives are about work. And stepping back means it's about Christ. And that may mean that we're going to have to sacrifice some income. It may mean that life looks a little bit different. Maybe we don't get that promotion. Maybe we don't get that raise. But we have an encounter with Christ. Christ. And our ears are open to hear Christ, and our hearts are open to, to receive Christ, because we acknowledge that it is about Christ. Will Williman says that on, when Christians come to worship on Sunday, we are making one of the most controversial, radical, countercultural statements that we make as people of God, because we simply refuse to show up for work. And we are declaring that our lives are defined by God's time, not the world's time. We're declaring that everything here is God's doing, not our doing. And maybe your day isn't Sunday. Maybe because of the way your job is shaped, you you end up working Sundays. What other day is your Sabbath? Sabbath. What other day do you step back to rest and to hear God and to do good and to have your soul and body and spirit restored? And it's hard. I know it's hard. Personal experience, it's hard. It's a battle. It's a struggle. But it's the way to life. It's the way to glorify God and to let God make us the children he created us to be. Craig Barnes says that it's not even just enough to have that one day, whether it's Sunday or another day, as wonderful and important as that is, that it's not even enough. We ought to have a little Sabbath every day. Every day we, we declare that, that the world and the most important things in the world have already been accomplished. And we didn't do them. The sun came up. The earth is still rotating on its axis. And we didn't have anything to do with that. He says, I awakened every morning to a world that I didn't create to receive a salvation that I didn't earn. Because my life in this world is about Christ. And we will miss those truths if we don't step back for rest and Sabbath. So think about this paradox, this tension of work and rest. I think we tend to fall into one of two categories. For some of us, our temptation is to believe that that we live our we're called to live our lives as sort of like the Energizer Bunny. We keep going and keep going and going and going and going, and we never stop, and we're proud of that. Others live life as though we are called to be people, passengers on a cruise ship. And we just lie around on the deck and and people take care of us and our, our main goal in life is just to get a good suntan. And everything about life is just what people can do for us and we don't really have any need to contribute. I think we both understand that neither of those are the biblical image. But it strikes me that maybe... A good model, a good metaphor for this tension is a rubber band. Rubber bands were invented in 1845. They've been around a little while. We all use rubber bands on a regular basis and probably don't think that much about them. But there's something interesting about a rubber band. If you let it sit long enough, it will eventually get brittle and crack and become useless. It just dries out. At the same time, if you stretch a rubber band and never release it, you put it around a package of things and it just sits there week after year, week after year after year, eventually it will lose its elasticity and it will become useless. A rubber band is meant to stretch and then at some point in time to relax. And then it does its job of stretching again for whatever length of time we need it. And then it relaxes. That's the way to keep a rubber band useful for a long, long time. As you think about your life, which of these images best describes you? Energizer bunny? Cruise ship? rubber band Heavenly Father it's hard for us so much about us that's wrapped up when we start talking about work and rest we need your grace Lord show us which image truly describes us And help us to take one step toward being who you called us to be. And we ask this through Christ Jesus.